it's a it's good day be a dad and uh so i i hope that uh your family's taking care of you somehow uh we all know the reality every day is dad's day to a certain certain degree uh get a longer nap today or maybe something like that um uh but i've got i've got something good to read to you uh this is entitled the creation of man okay uh god created the mule and told him you will be a mule working constantly from dusk to dawn carrying heavy loads on your back you will eat grass and lack intelligence you will live for 50 years the mule answered to live like this for 50 years is too much please give me no more than 20 and it was so then god created the dog and told him you will hold vigilance over the dwellings of man to whom you will be his greatest companion you will eat his table scraps and live for 25 years and the dog responded lord to live 25 years as a dog like that is too much please no more than 10 years and it was so god then created the monkey and told him you are monkey you shall swing from tree to tree acting like an idiot you will be funny and you shall live for 20 years and the monkey responded lord to live 20 years as the clown of the world is too much please lord give me no more than 10 years and it was so finally god created man and told him you are man the only rational being that walks the earth you will use your intelligence to have mastery over the creatures of the world you will dominate the earth and live for 20 years and the man responded lord to be man for only 20 years is too little please lord give me the 20 years the mule refused the 15 years the dog refused and the 10 years the monkey rejected and it was so and so god made man to live 20 years as a man then marry and live 20 years like a mule working and carrying heavy loads on his back then he is to have children and live 15 years as a dog guarding his house and eating the leftovers after the empty after they empty the pantry then in his old age to live 10 years as a monkey acting like an idiot to amuse his grandchildren and it was so there you go i am in the idiot stage currently and i'm doing okay with it oh man but dad's um man happy father's day i i was i was reading something this morning and 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 i just want to share this with you it was kind of a personal word but i think it's for us as men and so allow me to to share it with you i think men we struggle with a lot of things and uh you know and fatherlessness is killing our nation right now but we as men struggle with some things and one of those huge things you know to me blessings are are big for especially for fathers uh, to speak blessings over their children and we struggle uh, we struggle with that walking in the let me let me put it this way we struggle walking in the identity of who we are with god and i read something this morning i i i never this was a revelation a brand new revelation for me this morning is that you know when when jesus was baptized by john the baptist john the baptist baptized him jesus came up out of the water it says the holy spirit came like a dove upon him and then the lord the father spoke over his son and he said this this is my son in who i am well pleased it was a blessing from the father over his uh uh jesus in the flesh this is my son in whom i am well pleased did you know that this was jesus was 30 and he had just lived an ordinary life for 30 years no miracles no uh healing the lame or the blind or raising people from the dead this was simply he had just lived his life out day in day out working in the carpenter shop 
helping his mom any way possible, probably the rest of the family, just being a guy for 30. And the father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, here's the point I want you to get today. I think many of us think, man, if I can just earn God's favor, if I can just do something great for God, then he will be pleased with me. If I can do this for God, he will be pleased with me. If I can do this for God, something big, then he will be pleased with me. I want you to know the Father is pleased just when you live day in and day out the life he has called you to live. I mean, just be the best husband you can be, be the best dad you can be, be the best friend you can be, be the best employee, employer you can be, and you just sense the pleasure of the Father upon you. And I think that's what we need today, men. I think so many of us are just struggling with our identity. And we just think, man, there's no – and some of you are like me. Um, I, I, think, I think there's parts of me that for so long were still trying to earn a pat on the back from my dad, earthly dad, that I could never get. And many of us see God that way. I want you to know that's not the way it is. I think he's looking down. He said, these are my sons. I'm well pleased. And uh, let's walk that out. Um, Hey, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. Um, we've been walking through uh, the book of Joshua, and we're in Joshua chapter 6. And we call uh, this series, Take the Land, because the land belonged to them. This was the pr- land of promise. And uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the very familiar story of the walls of Jericho. And we're going we're gonna to see it from the historical perspective, but I believe God has a very personal word for us, so don't check out today. I encourage you to jot down notes. You keep, keep alert because I think the Spirit of God wants to speak uh, closely to your heart today, and I want you to listen. But uh, there was a new pastor, and he, uh, he was at this small country church. He was a new pastor, and uh, the guy who normally teaches the boys' children's department Sunday school class couldn't be there that day, so they asked the minister if he would go in and teach the boys. So he took advantage of the opportunity, and he just wanted to kind of check out the knowledge they had. So he asked the boys this question. Boys, who knocked down the wall of Jericho? Man, the boy, that was silence. And the boys kind of looked at each other, and they said, Pastor, we didn't do it. <laughs> and uh, so, man... The minister is just disappointed with the Bible knowledge of his kids. So that week, he's, many, he's meeting with his leadership team, elders, deacons, leaders in the church. And, and uh, he, he said, man, i got to tell you all something. He said, I was in the boys' Sunday school class the other day. And he said, uh, man, I, was, I just had disappointment. I, I asked them, uh, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And their response was, we didn't do it. And the chairman of the deacon said, well, listen, pastor, I know most of those boys in there. And I, I would probably say they didn't do it and and now the now the pastor's totally dumbfounded and and uh chairman of his elders says uh and pastor i know their families too and they're good families i know they didn't do it they didn't do it and finally the head of the finance committee said pastor i know this is really bothering your heart i can just tell it's all over you it's bothering you deeply he said i tell you what we got enough funds in the benevolence fund let's just take care of it we'll rebuild the walls of jericho for you you know, the Walls of Jericho is a story that we probably all know on different levels. And uh, today what I want to do is I want to historically unpack it and then get very personal with you if I can do that. So hang on to it. Joshua chapter 6, I'm not going to read it all, but uh, I'm going to read some of it so you get the gist because some of you may be new to the Scriptures. And uh, then I want to talk to you. It says this, Joshua 6 verse 1. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, 
See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Mark that. I have already delivered Jericho into your hands. Verse 3. March around the city once for all the, uh, with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. This is what the Lord has has talked to Joshua about. Joshua's a great leader, but now he's got to go give this to the rest of the people. What a hard task. So in verse 6, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward blowing their trumpets and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest and who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark all... All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. So Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. They got up early, walked around the city, came back. They did that for six straight days. Verse 15, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that's in it were to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. And all the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into this treasury. In verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so that so everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. I'm going to stop there. The rest of the story uh, goes on that they did go and uh, as the word for protect Rahab and her family. And we've talked about that, but they, they carried that out. And then the last thing that happens at the end of the chapter is Joshua actually gives a curse upon uh, the city of Jericho that it would not be rebuilt and uh, and that's what he did. I want to I want to unpack some things in this story, and some of it's not going to be new, but some of it is 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 really uh, really good. Um, but my thought is this: if I were going to war, 
or kind of for me, any decision I'm going to make, I break down like this. Purpose, objectives, strategies. This is just leadership principles for me. Purpose is I ask myself, why am I doing this? That's the why question. The objectives are is what am I supposed to do, and then the strategy is how I'm going to do it. That's the way I work when I'm making a decision. I want to look at purpose, objective, strategy. So if I'm looking at this walled city that I'm about to take down, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start thinking about why am I going to do this, what am I going to do, and then how are we going to be able to fulfill this. I read, a, I read an interview with Norman Schwarzkopf, who, Norman Norman, the, the Desert Storm, incredible general, and he's passed away, but he was talking about if you go into war, certain things that you need to know that you have at your disposal. Number one is you need to know your resources. In other words, you need to know the amount of men you have. You need to know all the supplies you have. If you're going to go into battle, you need to know these things. Secondly, he talked about you need to know your enemy. You need to know, and, and Joshua had done this. They had sent spies out. You need to know your enemy. You need to know his weakness, his strength. You need to know how to overcome him as best you can. Third thing he says, you need to know your terrain. If you're, not, if you're fighting in an unfamiliar place, you need to know the terrain. You need to know how you're going to be able to, to use that to your advantage. And then the fourth thing he, he talked about was uh, basically know your cause or know your objective of what's going on. I, I think that... Uh, if you send somebody into war and they're not knowing, they don't have the why question answered, it's going to be a struggle for them. And this is what General Norman Schwarzkopf felt like was important if you're going to go into war. And we know the success that he had with Desert Storm and, and all that happened, all that happened there. And so I'm thinking about this. And then along comes Joshua. And God starts giving Joshua his plan for taking this walled city. And it's an incredible plan that seems so odd and out of character and with the, with the way we do things in the world. Joshua gets this message from the Lord. He has to give this message on to the people. They have to buy into it. And I have to believe that once they heard that, they thought, Joshua has lost it. He has lost it. But you've got to understand a little bit about the city of Jericho itself, okay? Jericho was an ancient city, one of the oldest civilized uh, cities that existed that, uh, from what we know in history. It, uh, so that you understand the wall system a little bit, you would have an embankment, and, uh, and, which would have been natural dirt and this kind of stuff. On top of that embankment, you would have a wall that could have been as high as 15 feet high, maybe as thick as 6 feet thick. That's a pretty sturdy wall right there. That was, about, that was the first wall. Then you would have, and that was a retaining wall, so behind that you would have more earth uh, built up. And then at the top of that, you would have the major wall, which would have been as high, it could be as high as 26 feet, they say. So you're looking at wall alone was just enormous, and then you would have towers off of that and this kind of stuff. It would be almost like from the ground level, you're looking at 46 to 50 feet. So if you're coming up on this, it is going to be very, very visible. It, it would be like our education building is three stories, okay? Add two more stories onto that, and you're looking at the height of what you're looking at as far as a wall is for Jericho. Now, here's the other thing. Jericho itself, it would have surrounded six acres, okay? Now, you're thinking, well, our house is on a half acre or whatever. No, think about it this way. From Lake Creek Drive out front to the uh, end of the portables where the flat area is where the staff parks on Sunday, 
that is six acres, okay? So that will give you a taste of what six acres is like. And so you've got this 46-foot high wall that is going around six acres. And let me tell you, it was impenetrable. It, it was unbelievable when you would take a look at it. Inside that wall would have been about 1,200 plus people. Not that many people compared to all the children of Israel who probably sent 40,000 into this battle. So you've got this, um, you've got this city that everybody would look upon and say, man, there is no way to overcome this city. And here comes Joshua. And he says, guys, here's our plan. Okay, you ready? They're looking for battle strategy because I would be thinking they've got to be calculating what are we going to do? Are we going to build ladders and climb the walls and go over the top? Maybe, but man, we're not, we don't have any ladders. We don't have any of that stuff. How about battering rams? Let's take down the gate with battering rams. Of course, they don't have that supply. They've been nomadic people. They've been traveling around. They don't have those things. Thirdly, how about this? Let's just wait them out. Let's just wait them out, and they have to come out eventually. However, we do know it's just at the end of harvest season, and what has happened is is that they have more than enough supplies in there. They could last for years in there. And there's no way the children of Israel could last for years because they would run out of supplies out where they're at. So they didn't have the ladders. They couldn't do that. They couldn't battering ram. They couldn't outweigh them. So what in the world are they going to do? So here comes Joshua. Guys, here's the plan. First plan is this. We're going to take the armed warriors. That's uh, that's the the point of the spear, man. These were the warriors. These were the guys. They We're going to take the armed warriors... And you're going to be first. And then what we're going to have is we're going to have the priest. And the priests are going to be carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God with them always. And so you would have the Ark. And then behind that, you would have the rear guard uh, to clean up things and to take care of, of the things on the back end and, and to come rushing in when that was going to happen. So this is what's going to happen. Armed, armed warriors, priest, the presence of God. The rear guard. And what you're going to do is on day one, we're going to get up early in the morning. And what you're going to do is you're going to walk around the city. No talking. None. That's probably the miracle. No talking at all. We taught first grade this week in Bible story. That would have been a miracle if there was no talking. But they, this is what you're to do. No, no peep. The only sound is going to be the shofar the trumpets that the priests are blowing. 1,200 people inside a walled city, day one. I've got some sound just to see what they heard as they were, this is what the people heard. Imagine you're in a walled city and a huge army. That's all you're hearing. You're not hearing anything else other than the marching and the shofar blowing. And you're looking out there. You're seeing these armed warriors. You're seeing these priests. You're seeing the ark, which they had heard of, the presence of God in the rear guard. 
And they got up and they walk around that six acres and they come back and they go to camp for the night. Day two, they're going to do the same thing. And I thought about this. I thought, why, why in the world did God have them walk around the city? And I don't know. We'll have to ask him someday as to why. But I thought, I thought of three different reasons maybe that they walked around. Number one was intimidation, right? You, you, let's say there was 40,000 soldiers. Let's say that they're walking around every day. That's intimidating enough. And all you're hearing is uh, these shofar playing. And uh, so they're walking around, and, and that's all you're hearing. That would be intimidating right there. You know you can't win. They've been waiting for them 40 years already to come and take them over. Wow, that, that's going to be intimidating enough for them to be there. So maybe reason number one was um, uh, just intimidation that uh, that they were going to um, uh, be taken down. Number two, and you know the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament too, right? God had already given grace to Rahab because of what she did. Just perhaps, think about it this way. Maybe God was giving them an opportunity to repent. Maybe each time around was just a picture of God's grace saying, we don't have to go any farther if you're willing to repent right now. Maybe they didn't take up on that. But the third reason, I think, is very vital. I think the third reason, and this may be the the best one, is that the reason God had his people walk around is that every time they walked around surveying this walled city, I think especially after day one they have to think, I don't think we can do this. I don't think we can take this thing down. Day two, there's no way. There is no way we can take this wall down. I mean, they're looking five stories up. They're looking at this incredible wall. There, there's no way. Day three, I don't think we can do it. They probably came back each night to camp saying, I do not know how we're going to do this. I do not know how we're going to do it. Day four, day five, day six. And then day seven comes around, and Joshua, by, by then, the guys, I think, are fully convinced that if God doesn't come through, we're going to look silly. And so in day seven, they marked that, they marked that six acres, daybreak, one lap, two lap. They eventually do seven laps, and the shofar blows, and the long blow of the shofar, they cry out. They didn't cry out, woo! They cried out, the city is ours. It's a victory cry. And so when that happened, they automatically went, and the wall, it says this, it says the walls crumbled. Now, what that literally, the literal interpretation is the walls fell upon themselves. And many people think, well, maybe there was just an earthquake at that time. Ah, God can do whatever he wants to do. It's amazing how he just had an earthquake on that six acres and nowhere else. But, but uh, he, whatever God did, he had the walls fall upon themselves. And then the army came charging in to, to finish off to wipe them out completely. We'll talk more about that next week. But that's what, that's what happened with this incredible story. And we look at that and we think, man, God is huge. He can do anything. And, uh, and, but I want to personalize this a little bit. I, wanna, I want us to look at our own Jericho walls that we have built up. And I, I'll, I'll explain more about that in just a moment. But I want to give you four thoughts 
on uh, on this story that I think are very pertinent for us, especially if we're going to attack our own Jericho, okay? Number one uh, is this, and you can write these down. They'll be on the screen. But number one is this, is that victory has been secured, but the battle must be fought. It says in the scriptures that we read that, that God told Joshua, I've already given you the city, but you're still going to have to go in and take it. Here's the deal about us walking out the life of Christ. We come to Christ. Uh, God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. Man, you went to the cross for me. I give my life to you. I submit to you. I abandon to you, God, because you are God alone. I'm not. I don't have a chance without you. I, I submit my life to you to obey you. And when we do that, what happens is, is we, we are introduced into the body of Christ. We're new creations in Jesus Christ. But that does not mean that there's not going to be daily conflict that we have to go into. In fact, Stu Weber, who was a special ops guy who's wrote many men's ministry books, said, he said, when somebody comes to Christ, you ought to just say, welcome to the battle. Because that's what happens. Some of you came to Christ and nobody ever explained to you about spiritual warfare. Nobody ever explained to you that there's an enemy that hates your guts. But I want you to know the victory is yours in Christ Jesus. He wants you to live a victorious life. And, and let me tell you, so many of us are just thinking, well, I, someday I'm going to die and get to heaven. I tell you, the older I get, what I'm understanding is, is that Jesus Christ did not go to the cross just to get me into heaven. He went to the cross to get heaven into me. So that I can live out a life of victory. But I see so many Christ followers who are living well below that life of victory. Oh yeah, if I die, I go to heaven. But in the meantime, my life's going to stink and I'm going to get run over by anything. I want you to know the victory is in God, but you still have to fight the battle. Here's the second thought about this, this story. God's plans sometimes seem odd. In fact, Isaiah said it this way, that God's ways and man's ways are different. They're different. You know, man's ways would have been, okay, let's get a strategy here. Let's get purpose, strategy, objectives. Let's see how we're going to do it. And God comes along and says, listen, it's my battle. It's going to seem odd what I'm going to ask you to do, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to know God is sometimes going to ask odd things of you. And you're going to think, am I going to believe him? Am I going to walk that out or am I not going to walk that out? And sometimes it's just odd. I know Pam and I in our lives, there's been times he says, this is what I want you to do. This, you know, go, go be a part of starting a mission church. Really? God, but we're going to lose all our amenities. We're going to, all right, we're going to lose big church stuff. Yeah, man, that, believe me, we were saying all that stuff. Other people aren't going to understand. They're going to say things. And God's just odd in the way he does things. He may call you to go do certain things, and you're thinking, God, God, that doesn't just make a whole lot of sense in my head. Yeah, but I'm with you. I'd rather be with God. And I'm not saying be odd for God. I know people that are odd for God, and I'm thinking, no, I don't want to be that. You know what I'm talking about? you got some of those friends. But I want to walk my life in faith, and sometimes God's ways of faith are different. There's odd. Here's the third one that I want you to get. I want you to hear this. The ark was the focus and not the wall. The ark was the focus and not the wall. Let me explain what I mean by that. Joshua 6, verses 1 through 13, nine times. Joshua mentions the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The Ark always represented the presence of God. Nine times in 13 verses that Joshua says the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. I was taught 
since I was little, that the more something is repeated, the more emphasis there is upon it. And so if I know in, in those verses, 13 verses, nine times it's talking about the ark, it's telling me that that's the most important thing in those 13 verses. And what it tells me is this, is that you can focus on the wall as much as you want to, and you're going to worry about the wall, you're going to have anxiety over the wall, but you put your, you put your view upon the ark and let God do the battle, he will, he will do it. But we, we are so busy looking at our problem. We're looking at the walls. And I'll talk more about this in just a moment. We're, we're looking at this instead of putting our eyes on God. Here's the fourth thing that I want you to grab right quick. And that's this. Faith in God is the most powerful force in the world. I said faith in God. I didn't say faith in man. I didn't say faith in your own strength. I didn't say faith in money. I didn't say faith in a nation. I said, faith in God is the strongest force ever. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Faith in God is the most powerful force. So many of us are putting faith in our own skills. We're putting faith in the United States of America. We're putting faith in our government. We're putting faith in our school system. And I want the best school system. I want the best government we can possibly have. But let me tell you, we will only have that as we have the faith in God. And so if we're approaching these walls of Jericho that we are battling, the question is, uh, is our faith in God or is our faith in our own abilities? Now, let me get personal. What is your... Jerichos that you've built? What are your walls that you've built? And, and I think I think some are internal, some are external. Let me give you an external. And, and what I'm talking about is how do we walk out this victorious life in Christ? We're called to walk out. You know, Jesus said, I've come to give life to the fullest. And he said before that, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come that you might have life to the fullest. How do we walk out that full Christian life and not walk just, oh, I go to church, and but I'm bored with that, and my life, yeah, but I'm going to go to heaven someday, but my life's not full of the joy of the Lord. It's not full of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not full of any of that stuff, but hey, I'm going to heaven someday. How do we walk out that life in victory uh, that we need to walk out? But what are these walls? So externally, what are some external walls? Some is family. Man, if I, if I get serious about Christ, my family is all against me. My spouse, man, they, they are wall in themselves. I cannot even, I cannot, I, I cannot overcome that, man, because, because I, I, they, they keep me from walking. They steal my joy. They steal everything about me because of this external. The people I work with, man, they're a wall. They just keep me from, from walking in Christ. I, I, I let them, let them take me down. There's, there's those walls. You know, there's other countries that literally the wall is, if they live for Christ, their life is taken from them. That's not the place in the United States, but, but what if it were? What if there was this wall of, man, God, you need to take down that wall so I can walk in freedom with you. External walls. Some of you have them. Probably not a whole lot of you have too many. You may have a spouse that's not walking with Christ or your family has kind of blackballed you because you're a Jesus person and that kind of thing. And you're just praying, God, would you just take down the walls? Uh, you know, and, and some of you are thinking, God, take down the walls and do it yesterday. But yet some of you need to realize you've just done day one around the wall. 
Stay persistent. Stay persistent. See what God can do. You were not called to change your spouse. You were called to love them. Let God do that work. Let him take down the wall. That's external walls. Most of us don't have external walls. We have internal walls. Let me explain. How about anxiety and fear and worry? Oh, man. So much of the time, the reason we're not walking victorious Christian lives is because we're walking in so much anxiety and fear. Fear for our family, fear for our job, fear for our nation, fear for whatever may come along. And we have this incredible fear that is there, and it creates anxiety. And with this anxiety, there's no way we're going to see the fruit of the Spirit walk in our lives. No way. It's a wall. How about this one? How about uh, your past? Oh, Mark, my past, man. I've got sin in my past, or I've got abandonment in my past. I've got abuse in my past. I'm just going to have to live out the rest of this life in the flesh. hope that God sorts it all out and takes me into his kingdom. No, that's a wall that you need to persistently go before the Father and say, God, let's knock that down. I want to walk in victory. I don't want to walk with that wall there. I want to walk in, 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 in a life with you. So maybe your past is one. Let me give you a few others. Um, how about doubt? You know, you've, God, I've trusted you before and you didn't come through. You didn't, you didn't uh, uh, take Uncle Harry's cancer away. You didn't, uh, you didn't give me that job that I wanted. You didn't give me that boyfriend or girlfriend that I wanted, blah, 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 blah. And uh, we make excuses and we start, God, I'm just going to doubt you. And so that doubt comes along. And it's a wall that we put up. Um, Here's another one. Sin strongholds in your life. There's just a sin area that you just cannot rid yourself of, and it's become a Jericho wall, and you just can't get past it. Or how about this one? Just, you don't want to. You want to go to heaven someday, but you don't really want any more than you've got now. Man, I got my job's good enough, my family's okay. Uh, making enough money and making more than my parents made, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And then, uh, so you're just honest enough to say in your heart, I'm not sure I want a full life in Christ. And that's a wall of Jericho. That's keeping you from experiencing life the way he intended for you to live it. What's your wall? I don't know what it is. I can't make it up for you. I don't want to make up a wall, but I would say probably most of you have one. Because if not, we would be walking a lot more joyful lives than we are so how do we overcome that well it's a matter of faith who who are you putting your eyes on are you putting your eyes on those walls are you putting your eyes on that anxiety and doubt and fear are you putting your walls on people that are saying you can't do that are you putting your walls on your spouse and your family are you putting your wall your faith and your eyes upon god alone he is the one that's going to take the walls down mark i've tried i've tried okay day one let's go day two Let's keep going. Let's see what he's going to break down. Let's see the walls he's going to break down right there. He desires for us, above all, to live close to him in an abundant walk with Jesus Christ. But we put up walls. Let me, let me end with this. Um, personal story, and God always gives us personal stories we don't like, um, but we get them. This, this uh, Pam called me up. You know, we had vacation Bible school all week, and it was a pretty tiresome week at times. And, and uh, I, I was up here just kind of seeing everything to the end, and Pam had gone home. 
And uh, she sends me a text and, and says, uh, uh, there's something under the deck in their backyard. We've got a nice backyard with a deck back there and, and this kind of thing. She said, Gracie, our dog's going crazy. There's something under the deck. And she had taken a picture, and she said, I think it's a skunk. And uh, I thought, oh, no. And I got home, and I walked back there, you know, tentatively, but I walked back there, and, and uh, it's getting dark. And so I, I could tell something had uh, kind of gotten on the deck, so I kind of block off the entrance there, uh, thinking it's not there and that kind of stuff. And uh, But I didn't see it, and I'm doubting my wife, to be honest with you, at this point. I'm thinking, I'm not sure about that. And so, uh, but I could tell the next day when I got up, something had dug out around that area, and okay, um, got a problem. And uh, so I block off some other things. Call uh, Wes, Wes Tanksley, your basic local rodent killer. Kill your bugs. Uh, and called Wes up. Wes, uh, Pam, I, I'm still blaming her. Pam says we think we got a skunk. And uh, and so uh, Wes comes over and uh, setting a live trap and everything. And uh, and finally, um, you know, Joe was with you the other night, and we we're looking through the slats there, and sure enough, there there was a skunk. I did not see it that clear. I'm thinking, oh, is that really a skunk? And and uh, uh, I'm trusting Wes at this point. Yes, it is. So we we try to work things out. And uh, in the meantime, let me tell you what that skunk has done. Uh, let me let me just say this. I eventually saw the skunk, and Pam was right. Uh, there was a skunk. Not only one skunk. Uh, and, and I know, man, I'm telling this story, and somebody said, Mark, that, that skunk could be rabid. You know that. Yeah, I know that. Good night. I'm not going to pick it up. Uh, I, uh, skunks get under there because they're going to have little ones. I know that. I mean, I, I, I know that. But our house is great house to come to. I mean, uh, but here's the deal. The skunk is under the deck in the backyard. That's my dog's backyard. And we love uh, to go in the backyard. we got a nice deck. We like to go sit. But let me tell you, we, the dog can't go out there. The dog can't enjoy what is theirs. We can't enjoy what is, what is ours because of that. And, uh, and now, first, so first of all, we're just saying let's avoid it. Now, Gracie, she can't go out there avoid it completely. But last night we, we had the college and career group coming over, grill burgers and that kind of stuff. We were out there, no problem. Thank goodness skunks are nocturnal. And uh, we were, we're out there in the backyard. Everything's fine. Very tentative, uh, obviously. And uh, we didn't tell them while they were out there, skunk out. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. But, and, uh, but, but what happened this morning, obviously, we, we saw them uh, pretty thick out there. And, uh, but here's the deal. Here's where I'm going on this, not just to tell you a skunk story. Because of that skunk, we could not enjoy what was ours. Now, there was two ways to deal with it. One was to avoid it completely and not go out there. Or number two is we'll just live with it. I think that is the way we have come with these walls of Jericho in our life. We have, we have allowed things into our lives, whether they're sin areas are there areas that we walk in doubt and unbelief and anxiety and fear? And we've just decided, I will not live in all that God has for me because of these things in my life, just like the skunk. Or number two, is there there? I'm just going to have to live with it the rest of my life. That is wrong. That's not the way God intended for us to live our lives. He loves us incredibly. Yes, there will be suffering. Yes, there will be hard times. But yet, if we're keeping our eyes and our gaze upon Him and our faith is in Him, we'll see the walls come down. I really believe that. And it's, it's a matter of us 
refocusing. God, you know, and today, this is where I'm calling you out, especially I'm calling you men out. I think men, we, we have seen the faith as so passive. We have let women take the lead because we see the faith as passive. Let me tell you, if I were calling you to war, if I were calling you to war, you would not be passive. And I think that's the welcome to the war. We need to take down the walls of Jericho for our children, for our families. We need to take these down. And I'm just asking you, in just a moment, there's going to be people up here to pray with you. There's going to be these steps, an opportunity to come. Maybe this is day one. Maybe you're tired of those walls. You're tired of that anxiety and that fear. You're tired of your past weighing you down. You're tired of that sin area. Well, let's come. Day one. Let's lay it out before the Lord. Let's, let's march up here. Let's lay it down. And then let's go. Day two. Just lay it before the Lord. Also, there's an opportunity for the Lord's Supper here. There will be people to pray with you. What, I, what I'm just saying to do, let's take the battle that is ours, the victory that is ours, and let's walk it out. You pray with me right now.